Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 13 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So real life is when stuff happens, where the perfectly planned speech or conversation doesn't go as planned. And today we're going to talk about real life and the interview process and nailing the opportunity. We'll talk about actual experiences that we've had, because we have them every day, where people have listened to us and then when they haven't. Names, location, and specialties are all changed for privacy. We will not mention names here. No, but first, before we do that, Mr. Loretto, how are you today? I am excellent, Miss Radcliffe. <laughs> you know, we know when we talk about kind of like, tell me about what's going on, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I think you should tell our listeners today something Ooh. personal about you. Tell, you know, what you want to do on your own time. And I don't want to hear about kids and, and husband and holding it's hands the on the beach question. with Chris and everything's perfect. <laughs> I want something. What do you do on your personal time? Oh, man, these are the questions that make me feel so uninteresting. <laughs> so I don't have a lot of personal time because all of right. all the things you just mentioned. Amen. I'm at that stage, right? But I would say the best and like my favorite times of each day, because that's really what I'm measuring here, okay. right? Like some people have bigger things. Each day, I think I have two times when I'm happiest, right? And it's, I'm a morning person. So if I can muster myself to get up early, early in the morning before anyone else is awake, coffee and just kind of a lamp and some quiet time to just kind of reflect and think back and organize myself in my head. That's literally the time I'm probably most content in the whole day. And then two, when I actually get to go work out yes. and like all the stress and the sweat and you feel so good after Absolutely. and you don't think about the fact that you're going to ruin it all with the very next thing you put in your mouth. Uh, that's probably like my favorite, like physical me time. That's it. Well, I can attest to your uh, 6 a.m. emails. <laughs> Because if okay, uh, when I'm not doing work, yeah, let me caveat that. Yeah, I can tell you one thing right now that if you're ever working with me, you will not see a 6 a.m. email uh, from the Charles Loretto. Because if you do, you might want to check to see if I'm in the hospital. Okay, so, so what about you? Okay, so to me, like one on one time, I'd love to go snow skiing, I just don't get a chance to go enough. I know. And, I like to put my little earbuds in and just, just ski down in, in nice little leisurely blues. And uh, I love to go to Colorado and spend time with my buddy, uh, Tom, just kind of like that boy time, yeah. you know, that you just, you don't, you don't the get very much time. of it, mm-hmm. uh, get in the mountains and get kind of get unplugged. So yeah, that's, that's that my, makes uh, me uh, want to be on a mountain. That's yes, right. Well, I'm going to the mountains <laughs> here, uh, here soon. So I'm excited. So well, enjoy it. But before you leave, this is fun for me and I think for you too just because these are the stories that we get to experience every day and I think in episodes 1 through 12 if you've listened to any or some of them we really focused on talking about different facets of the transition process and the two episodes that I feel like get the most play and get the most replay and that we've had the most feedback on are the episode about interviewing and the episode about finding an opportunity that's episode 2 and 3 if you haven't listened to those. And so today I want to focus on some examples we have of real life and how that has worked and how maybe it hasn't worked and the mistakes that we've seen people make. And so we're going to talk about those random kind of, I think I have four or five in mind that I wanted to talk to you about today. So first you had this, this is yours. I'm going to let you take it, but you had a pedo Mm -hmm. who had an opportunity, whatever reason it kind of fell apart and you suggested that they write a letter to the seller and so I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So I think when we look at 2019 and look at the episodes that we're planning 
we have these stories every single day and every single week. And so I think that people can relate to stories. It's one thing to have a prepared kind of podcast, you know, every two weeks about this particular subject, but people want stories. So yeah. this is this is what's cool about what we're going to do today and then throughout 19. So yeah, I met this young man and, you know, wife, and they are thinking about starting a practice from scratch. So as a pediatric dentist, a surgeon, um, you know, some specialty where you're high in demand, certainly with demographics extreme that, it's certainly appropriate to think about starting from scratch. But I always like to ask this basic question. Have you exhausted all of the opportunities in that area from an acquisition standpoint? Have you reached out to doctors and basically said, hey, would you consider selling your practice? And so it's super important to exhaust that because the last thing you want to do, start a practice from scratch and then maybe some other young man or woman buy the other guy or gal's practice down the street. Now you got two young people now competing in the area. So he did. He kind of shared that experience with me. And this was an amazing practice that he met. He had a great relationship with the doctor, the whole wine and cheese thing. They went for dinner. They met because he did this mail campaign, so he totally followed what we had uh, suggested in episode two and three, did an amazing job, and then basically he got the valuation, and so, uh, Christy, this valuation was awesome. It was a million seven collections. The price was 1.4, and this practice, it had a net income of $1.1 million. Sign me up. It's awesome. We're talking like a a 40% overhead or something like that. So it was just, the cash was just absolutely incredible. And so one of the things the seller had told the buyer is, hey, whatever you do, this is kind of my firm price. And so he's built this relationship, gone back and forth, and things are great. And then he basically just put an offer into the broker without talking to the seller and for a number that was less than that. Mm-hmm. And then basically it offended the seller. And so I was yeah. like, what are you doing? You didn't listen to me. And so as I heard that conversation, I said, well, wait, wait a minute. Why did you do that? He said, oh, I just felt that was the price. And, this and I said, look, you got to understand this is someone's life's work. Mm-hmm. This is 30, 35 years of their life. If there's anything I can tell you, buyer, is when you're offering $1 less than what they're asking for, you better have a plan of how you do that. You know, my opinion, it's done over the phone. It, it's done in, in person. Mm-hmm. But there is a tact and just a strategy how you're going to do that. Right. Okay. And so he offended him. And that seller went cold. I'm talking nothing. Not a no phone calls return, no emails. It just went cold. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, I said, look, do me a favor. Handwritten thank you. I apologize. This and that. Somehow I made a mistake. And then you write that and let's just see what happens. And I wish this had a beautiful ending because I like beautiful endings. I like because I read that letter. The letter was fantastic. Oh my god, he did a great job yeah. on the letter. And so I wish I had a great ending, but the seller didn't respond either. And I think that he just kind of crossed that line and maybe yeah. just made him think differently. So the point is, really know the business that you're going to buy and really have some tact and thought process before you make this offer. And if you can do it the right way kind of see the numbers and take a lot of the emotion away from it, you could have an amazing, you know, successful practice. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the lesson in that is to keep that relationship personal. I mean, he did all of the front work of the letter campaign and the, the wine dinners, and the yeah. cheese and the dinner. And then it's just kind of like, uh, it fell off. Right. And so then if I'm the seller, what I'm thinking is, was all that just like, did, were you not listening? Was right. all that fake? Where did you not mean any of that? Right. So yes, I mean, I think that that keeping that momentum going 
and continuing that is not important just in getting your foot in the door, but keeping your foot in the door. Because Definitely. at the end of the day, you're like you said, this is an emotional process for the seller and seeing a good thing is a good thing and not trying to negotiate it just to get, you know, $10,000 off the price or 50000 or 100000 right. even in this case. It's just the math is so simple, Christy. It's $500,000 you're going to start back from scratch. What patience do you have on day one? Zero. Zero. What amount of money do you make on day Zero. one? Zero. Okay. This guy was going to make $900,000 after debt. Yeah. On day one. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, in his his eyes and in her eyes, they lit up like, oh, my God, maybe we made a mistake. And so, anyway. Lesson learned. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things, too. That I don't want to, even for the person that may be listening, it's not we're not making funny. We're just using you as an example to, to learn from this so others can learn from this type of mistake. So Absolutely. Someone, I call myself out every day. I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Yes. Yes. My, I have an entire team that tells me about my mistakes <laughs> daily. So, uh, I know yeah. What you're about. Okay. So, let's move on to another example. So, this is a case, I believe, with a little bit of a happy. Yes, it was. Um, So we have a general practice who we're helping, were helping previous client, um, and the buyer came to us first, right? And buyer came to us and said, I have this opportunity. It's kind of perfect for me. It's in my area. I want it. Seller isn't working with anyone, doesn't have a plan. Yeah. So same, great, you know, always ask the questions, okay, tell me where you're from. And in this case, the husband was from the area. She's from the area. Not call it a saturated area, but there's not a lot of for sale signs up on dental practices. And so they've done their mail campaign and they met the doctor and they really had a really solid connection. And so I said, oh, this is great. And I said, well, high level, do you know anything about it? Well, it's around a 500,000 collection practice. And he mentioned it was like around a 40%, you know, overhead. So great. Is he working with a broker? Have you guys talked about price? No, he doesn't really have like a plan of how to make this work. And I said, well, uh, either A, he needs to go get a broker to represent him, or B, I'm happy to get on a phone call with him and basically see if we can't figure out a way to come up with a fair deal that we would represent both of you. The way it would work is we'd work on a flat fee, so I don't have any conflict of interest as far as like, you know, amount of money, yeah. you know, what the price? what's the price, yeah. and I feel like I'm working for this person. So I have no idea if this is going to work or not, but let's just put the gentleman on the phone. So I said, high level, you know, what you need to know, buyer, is this particular practice based on location, collections, overhead. It was around 62%, equipment a little bit more outdated. Realistically, the price for this practice is probably going to come in around 70%, somewhere in the 350 range. So I need you to feel comfortable with that. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yes, it does. Perfect. Let's put the senior doctor on the phone. Let's talk with him. And so great relationship. What are you looking for? What are your expectations? You know, Dr. So-and-so, you know, practices will generally range from 65 to 80% from a evaluation. Practices with brand new ADIC equipment, brand new this, extremely low overheads, lots of cash, may value on the higher end. And then the other side on the lower price of the, of the practice would be the opposite. He sounded very reasonable, quoted a flat fee to guide these two together. And just all the back and forth, and it worked out amazing. Yeah. One of the things that I, I sometimes tell the buyer, if the seller doesn't have representation, there's a chance that the seller does go to the broker, and the broker goes, hey, we can sell this to corporate. Hey, I think you can sell this practice for 90% of collections, so it can almost backfire on you mm-hmm. when when they go the other route. 
the bottom line is we just want to get you into that ownership role. And so uh, we shared with the seller the kind of our seller's transition guide and things to think about and the buyer's transition guide, obviously, for the buyer. And so yeah, I'm and happy. I, I, yeah, and I think the lesson there is that there's hard questions that you kind of have to ask and know the answers to in any transition. And if one party and really the party that should be in control, which is the seller, I mean, the seller is responsible for kind of putting out a plan and putting out a price and putting out what they want. It's really awkward if that plan doesn't exist or the seller doesn't have someone to tell them what to do. Then the buyer is kind of left with like walking on eggshells and not knowing how to ask the question and not knowing like, am I going to put for the price that you, that's going to totally offend you? You know, like, so that, a lot of that has to be seller directed. And so having a team, having a plan is super, super important. And I think that's the lesson is if you're a buyer and you come across a seller who doesn't have a plan, you absolutely don't have to have the same company represent both of you. Some people just don't want to do that. But you also have to be cognizant that by asking the seller to get a plan, that plan may not be what you anticipate. And so again, having that relationship, having the communication, even if it's just have a conversation with this company that I am going to be working with because they seem pretty fair and they work on both sides and that'll at least start your process of finding your person, just exposure to kind of what's normal and fair I think helps the deal. Well, one of the things that they did really well is that relationship piece. I mean, they had really developed a a strong relationship. And this senior doctor had basically told me, he says, I I really want them to buy the practice. They seem like a really genuine couple. They seem like they're going to take really good care of my patients, you know, and and my staff. And so just that language when, again, as a buyer, you're coming in to communicate those important goals of, again, transition to patients, uh, uh, the team, kind of that legacy. Those are the key language points that they always want to hear. So, um, yeah, having a plan there, it was it really worked out good. And yeah. h- how many email communications do you think you had? Hmm. I'm copied on all of them. So, <laughs> I mean, I would say like three to four hundred. Three to four hundred communications yeah. that you basically are guiding two people back and forth over, let's say, what is that was around a 60 to 80 day period? Yeah, probably. And I think part of that too is being the, I'm going to use the term marriage counselor, Mm. because there are things that you ask and say that are not reasonable and not what you want to communicate over to the other party in a transition. And so I... I oftentimes, or our team oftentimes acts as that middle person who's like, let's couch that a different way. Yep. Let's not ask that question because that's super unreasonable and that's going to raise all kind of red flags. And I Definitely. know that's not your intention, but that's what that is going to mean to the other person. So that keeping your emotions in check too, I think having a team and having someone who's removing the emotion, I think that's super helpful too. No so. doubt. One of the things I think you're so good at is you've seen these transactions over and over again. So you can give them that type of marriage counseling to say, this is not reasonable. This is not fair to ask that in a way that's not that direct, (laughs) but uh, they kind of get the point. (laughs) I try to do my best. I feel like we're on a roller coaster here because the next one we're going to talk about is like not so happy again. This is, I think, the best example of someone who knew what they wanted, but didn't trust anything and almost couldn't get out of their own way um, and ended up Having a successful transition, but in like the worst possible rushed way, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you know who I'm referring to. So you started this relationship, so tell us how that went. So this particular gentleman had worked in a couple of different practices and it didn't work out. Uh, for whatever reason in those on the transition. And so he ended up in one of our actually clients' practices. 
And they'd gone back and forth and basically trying to agree that this is the deal. And it just kept getting pushed further and further back. And just unfortunately, the buyer just could not commit. And, you know, to me, you've got to surround yourself with a team and you've got to trust somebody to guide you through this, period. You better do your due diligence and make sure someone has walked you through or has walked hundreds of other people through this road because it's a tough road. And so there was a trust factor that this particular gentleman had with anybody. There was no plan of attack for him. He didn't have any trusted advisor. He called us last minute and said, I've been given a 25-day window that if I don't uh, close on this practice at this time for this price, they're not going to let me buy it. What do you think I should do? And so I looked at it. It's a specialty that's saturated, so it's a no-brainer to purchase. It was where they lived already. So these are all the checklists, you know, happy wife, happy life. It's a practice that makes financial sense. The price is fair. So, okay, let's, let's move forward. And the lack of communication he had, we had to stay on top of this every single day, seven days a week for 25 days. 20, actually, it took like three or four extra days to close. Uh, call it 29 days in a row. We stayed on top of this. And I can't believe it went through. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that the seller just even allowed it. Well, the seller uh, had a great team, too. I mean, like, every day we'd get to work with some really great people on the other side of the table, and yep. they had a great team that kind of, lucky for the buyer, the seller had a great team. Yeah, so it's just making sure that you can commit to something. If you're not able to commit to ownership and you can't commit to you're just, like, trusting a team and having you guide through it, I, I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe ownership is not for you. I don't think ownership is for everybody. I think you have to go and maybe associate for a number of years to where you're fed up with it and you finally get it. But this was a tough one. It really was. Well, yeah. And I think I think the lesson here is respecting all the parties that are yes. part of it, right? Because what we found out was that the individual had basically been talking to the seller for months, right? right. And so the seller felt strung along and like was starting to feel that like, are you going to commit to mm-hmm. me? And if you're not, then I need to find another plan because I have my own to-do list, you know, life plan that I need to, to take part in. So I think the respecting all the parties that are involved, being able to commit, know if that's what you want to do. And then again, engaging someone and trusting whomever you choose to work with, like trusting them to help you make the decisions and be the person. I mean, it was one of those things where like we said to do X and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. And then a month later we'd get, you know, they'd let us know that they hadn't done that thing and they still had questions, uh, demographics type of a answer. Well, we told you what to do a month ago. So are mm-hmm. you going to do it or are you not going to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that just that trust and having a plan and respecting everyone that's involved and respecting the time and the goals and the plans that you're being asked to do is really, really important. Yeah. So. And this is, I mean, this is just not easy work. I mean, we're happy go lucky people here, but you know, this work of helping buyers and, and sellers transition your life's work, it's a very emotional, big financial decision. And so it, it's, it's tough to keep these people on the train track without the you wheels coming up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next one. So one of the big things that we talk about in episode two is the letter campaign. And we've yes. had tons of people tell us how much that helps them. And we've had six, so many success stories from the letter campaigns, but there are times when the letter campaign doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so when that doesn't work, I mean, our first is like, why, why is it not working? Right. right? Like, let's look at what you're sending. Like, why have you not been getting a response? And you had one recently 
that we talked about that was almost too good, right? right. So the letter they had been sending out was too slick. It was beautiful, mm-hmm. but it had some key words that you kind of pointed out that made it where it was maybe unrelatable or too scary for a seller who might have received it. Right. So I talk about this in lecture, but this mail campaign that I'm talking about with the 9 by 12 envelopes with the handwritten it's really particular, and I kind of like it. It's not something I want to kind of you to veer off from. So I definitely like that mail campaign. I want to re-emphasize you're not just mailing, but you are calling and you are emailing that doctor, and you're you're trying to find maybe 200, maybe it's 100, and you're biting this off in chunks of 25 at a time, so that you can get this project done. I like stamps on it. Uh, you know the the. The personal and confidential, just go to the NDP website and kind of follow that process along. Super, super important. This particular case, when he said that it was like 30 letters that had gone out and he just hadn't had a response. And I was like, okay, well, do me a favor. Just send me the cover letter. And it was awesome. As Christy said, I mean, the, the marketing kind of graphics and look to it, it was like really cool and well put together. But to me, I think it came across a little too strong. Mm -hmm. So remember that if you're trying to connect to gray hair people, which typically the high percentage of sellers, is that personal connection. So I want a story in that cover letter. It really needs to be about you. And in this particular case, you know, he's married. He's got he's got a a small child. uh, Had a military connection. I mean, I'm like, you know, military. I'm putting that military suit on in one of my pictures. And then I'm also just talking about uh, the area and why I want to be there and, 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 and my wife and Ghana, she's a dentist as well, to just tie that whole yeah. story together. A little more relatable. Yeah. And, and this particular one said, I want to buy your practice. Well, that's mm. too strong. Scary. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I'm not, hey, I'm, I'm not looking to sell. Yeah. Okay. But maybe if you can build a relationship with this guy or gal... And that's because in the cover letter, it was personal, and you just said you wanted to buy them coffee. Maybe it said that you're looking for an associateship or some type of ownership opportunity. Now, I don't mind being a little aggressive in this letter, but it's kind of hidden in there. kind of goes back to the whole sandwich thing, is you start off with something nice and beautiful. I'm coming to the area. I love this area. I'm married. Here's my spouse. I love dentistry. I've always wanted to become a dentist because this time, love, love, love. By the way, we may do a startup practice in your area. That's part of the, oh, crap. And then you wrap it up with, I'd love to entertain any opportunity you might want to consider from, uh, you know, associateship or some type of path, you know, a partnership, or even if, if there's that small chance that you might thinking about be transitioning your practice. So you need to connect to this doctor. And so the letters with a cover letter, and then on each individual one, you may not just sign it, but put something on the bottom of it. They can see it's personal. And it's like, you know, you kind of handwrite something like, Dr. John, I hope that we can talk soon. Sincerely, Charles. It's handwritten at the bottom where your signature would be mm-hmm. so they can see how personal this is. The chance of that doctor contacting you back, it's got a higher probability yeah. than just some beautiful marketing piece that just shows up. Well, and it feels, if it's too put together, it can feel salesy. It can yes. feel corporate. It can feel like you're going to take this and turn it into something that I don't want it to be. And another thing to point out there, there's a reason that the word transition exists. Like mm-hmm. transition means sell. I mean, let's just be very Mm -hmm. clear. Like we use the term transition, but at the end of the day, you're selling Mm -hmm. your practice. It could be a part of it or all of it, but 
the word buy and sell mm-hmm. seem so transactional. Mm-hmm. And if we've said nothing else in this process is that the transition of a practice is not just a transaction. It's an emotional transition, right? right. So don't make it transactional by just using buy and sell. Um, use those words that reflect that you understand this is more than just a transaction. So and, and you could helpful. say transitioning your life's work, yes. transitioning your patience, transitioning your legacy to yes. the to a, a team of young doctors that can listen to your vision of the future. Be a wordsmith. Yes. <laughs> But not too much of a wordsmith. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and so kind of the last one, which I don't like to end on a bad okay, note, okay. but we're going to. Okay. There are times when you're going to do everything right and you're going to send out the letters and it's going to be perfect and you're going to handwrite them and you're going to develop the connections and it's just not going to work, right? You're just not going to, you're going to find an opportunity and it falls through or you're not going to get your foot in the door and that is okay. And that happens and we mm-hmm. hate it when it happens. But I have a client we were working with, general doctor, very saturated market, and had an opportunity fall through because the the doctor decided not to sell, found another opportunity, and did everything right. Developed the texting, you know, with the doctor outside of the broker. Um, Anytime there was anything negative, he went to the doctor first. Mm -hmm. Very good relationship. Negotiated everything beautifully. Got to the legal documents. And then, for whatever reason, the seller decided to hire another attorney outside of their broker, and that attorney had no dental experience. And that, we don't know why, Mm -hmm. but started to negotiate some of the very, very industry standard legal terms and also the non-compete. And the buyer just started to get a very bad feeling and just started to feel like he was risking this million-dollar investment. And he had a tolerance and he drew a line in the sand and said, look, I like you. I love you. I want this opportunity, but this is a level of normal that I've talked to multiple people and this seems abnormal. And I don't know why you're asking for this. So I'm going to draw my line. I'm not going to negotiate any further. And so he ended up having to walk away from the opportunity because the seller wasn't being reasonable. Um, And we hate when that happens, but I think there's a level of your gut that you kind of have to follow and you are the person making this million dollar investment or however 500,000 whatever the investment is and it's going to be your practice and so you have to follow your gut to a degree now there are times when you should not follow your gut (laughs) which goes back to a team (laughs) which is if your gut is telling you that you need to offer $50,000 off just because your debt service will be less right that's when we tell you maybe Let's think about not doing that, right? I know the candidate you're talking about. And just reiterate, those times when you have to have those tough conversations, Mm -hmm. you're always doing these after hours. Mm -hmm. You're inviting that doctor for a beer or wine, coffee, lemonade, whatever the drink of choice is. Again, you're always sandwiching with how you're doing something, you know, personal. Then you get to the issues and you think and and thank the person that we coached somebody last night. There was a huge uh, valuations like 2.6 value that the guy started before he got there. Now all of a sudden the value is like 3.2. So this is kind of a big shock two years later that the value went up. And so we had to deal with it. And so uh, this particular buyer has already purchased a house in the area. And I'm just like, why did you do that? You mm-hmm. wish you would have consulted me because I would have told you never, ever, ever, ever buy the house in the area until you are a business you know, owner. So all these emotions are coming up during these negotiations. And so even when you do everything perfect, there are times it's going to go south. And, yeah. you know, they're people. Yeah. They're humans. I mean, they're, 
they're just going to be different. If they choose to walk, it's her life's work and, and let you walk away from the deal and it's going to happen. But yeah. uh, it, it sometimes it's kind of meant to be. If anything, we're good is just to keep you on that track when it is a really good deal and kind of help you maybe suck it up if it's a this or that. Let's kind of push forward because in the end, this is still a really good decision for maybe you and your spouse. And this is really what yeah. comes back to what you, you told me that's important. So um, removing the emotion. Yes. Yeah. That's, yes. A big, that's a big factor here. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed these examples. Like Charles said, I think this is a goal in 19 is that for us to share with you what we do and what we are hearing every day, because I think those examples kind of can help add some color to, to you and you're going through your buying or your selling. So um, we'll dive into more of these topics based on our first 12 episodes. So stay tuned and remember to check out our website for transition resources and subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and like us on Facebook. All right. Awesome, Christy. Thank Have you. Have a good week. Talk to you soon. All right. 